not one part of the strategy gone Development, it's all we envelop in telephrin A wealth of intelligence Unless you're selfishly embellishing all of the championships Basking it in, let's study in the conferences Pac-12 and Big, 12 and the 10 SEC, ACC, win, 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 win It just kind of fades from there, that's good Yeah, they said like a minute, so all right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Debbie Owner's Manual with that blazing intro there from FF Man Bun, Gabe Gearing. Thank you very much for that. Let's tune in at the end there. You'll get the rest of it. Gabe worked hard on that and got us this kick-ass intro. And we'd also like to send a quick thanks to Chris and Adam of the Dynasty Owner's Manual for getting us our start. And I'm going to introduce my co-host, Andrew. Andrew, how's it going tonight, man? It's going good on this spooky Halloween. You got a chance to watch the game last night. It looked like Devil's Night out there with the... Crazy scoring there in uh, Buffalo and Miami. Yeah, there you go. That was a fun game to watch. It definitely had some Devil's Night hijinks. But first thing we're going to do is we're going to go through the recap of last week's games. There was obviously one huge game and huge and close to Andrew's heart as the Florida (laughs) Gators took on the Georgia Bulldogs. Andrew, what was your biggest takeaway from the game? Were there any players that really surprised you in a good or a bad way? So I, I will be 100% honest. I didn't get to watch the game in its entirety, unfortunately, because I live in the Pittsburgh area, and they have the unfortunate synagogue shooting. So that took up a lot of CBS's coverage for the day, which rightfully so. From what I saw, though, I did like how the first half kind of was that nitty-gritty SEC defense back and forth. Second half, I think Florida wasn't able to ride that high they came into the game with. Dan Mullen would have hyped them up with. I do think Felipe Franks played better than I would have ever expected against the tough Georgia defense. He only had one turnover, which I was thoroughly impressed with considering how he's been. And I think that speaks to Dan Mullen a lot. I just think from here on out, we should expect Florida quarterbacks to get back into the thick of things like we saw with Tim Tebow and everyone thereafter with Jacoby Brissett, Jeff Driscoll, Will Greer for the year we had him. Another couple standouts to me. There were things that stood out to me, I should say. Kai Polite only had one tackle and one assist. He really wasn't a factor. Georgia did a real good job of keeping him contained and not disrupting Jake Fromm, which by that was another surprise and takeaway I had. Jake Fromm had a really good game. And then also, too, I think because – or the reason he had a good game, I think, is a big part because C.J. Henderson went out early. That freed up a lot of the Florida secondary because they ride and die with him, I feel like. And he's only a sophomore, so I think he's going to be one of those Florida DBU conversation people by the time he's done with his career. Yeah, as far as defensively, Monty Rice is kind of the heir apparent there to uh, – or heir apparent to um, – the Georgia linebackers after Roquan left. And he hadn't been very impressive up to this point of the season. He was able to tally 11 tackles, which was kind of impressive. He showed pretty good range. I think he's finally getting the game a little bit. He's one to watch next year. And then this is the first time I've really gotten to watch Voshan Joseph extensively. And he had a huge game with 13 tackles and a sack. And he seemed like he was all over the place. And he shows really impressive range as well. I think both of those guys will be playing on Sunday next year. Or not next year. I think Monty's got another year. Boshan, I believe, is eligible, isn't he, Andrew? I, you know, I haven't looked at much as their defense as much as I've wanted to. I've just been enjoying watching it be rather dominating at times. But no, Voshan, 
Uh, he was a big reason they beat LSU against LSU. He had 14 tackles, two sacks. He definitely is a force to be reckoned with. He was taken out after the mini brawl that Vanderbilt had with Florida in the one game with the unsportsmanlike penalties. But I do think from here on out, he'll be one of those names I'll be mentioned in the SEC linebacker groups. Right, he is a he is a junior this year, so he is eligible next year to come out. I know Monty's a sophomore, so he's not he's got another year of seasoning under his belt. And both should be really good linebackers, though the SEC has a obviously a very good track record of turning out linebackers. For sure. As far as with another with you being a Big Ten ga- uh, guy there, Dwight, Penn State Iowa was actually a pretty decent game on Saturday. Um, what stood out for you there, and what were you surprised with most coming out of that game? Pretty high scoring, too, actually. Yeah, that was really shocked at the score. <laughs> that was insane. Um, yeah, there was a couple guys that really stood out. I like Iowa has a great defense, but they're not like they don't. I, nobody stood out for me as on that side of the game. I hadn't really seen much of this kid. I would guess his name is pronounced Yatir Gross Matos, is how I would think. There's yeah, probably some. I heard crazy Miller and Connor Rogers saying it the other day on Stick to Football, and Connor even said he had to listen to three different YouTube videos to hear it said properly. <laughs> but yeah, it's not. They'll come up with some cool a- a- acronym like YGM or something. He's going to be playing next year on Sunday. He looked unstoppable against Iowa, and Iowa typically has a pretty good offensive line. Amani, hey, good thing I didn't say Albert. Okay. Yeah, the defensive end there, he looks really promising. He ended up with nine total tackles and two sacks. And then Amani Oriare, I believe is how you say his last name. He's a he's their cornerback there. He's he's a little raw still, but he's definitely going to be a guy that sticks out that plays on Sundays next year. He's got a tremendous amount of talent. And uh, did you notice anything offensively? I know there's a high score, but oof. Yeah, no, I was able to watch. I think the Penn State-Iowa game was the only game I got to watch start to finish without – going back to recordings and I know I wanted to watch and see how Nate Stanley played against that defense during the broadcast. I even saw that Todd McShay had him as his third ranked quarterback coming into the draft, but no, Nate Stanley really disappointed. It was my first Nate Stanley game. I've really got to watch and he went 18 for 49, 205 yards and two interceptions. I know he's played better than that this whole year. And in the past, it's just a matter of, going back and watching it. Miles Sanders, too. They keep talking about him down at Happy Valley. I think he's he's not Saquon Barkley, but nobody is. I think he's definitely a name to watch, too, eventually in the running back discussion. It'll be interesting to see because I believe he's a junior, so he has this year he could come out or next. I or him, depending on how things go with this running back class, it might be this year, next year. I don't know where he would fall. But no, it was one of those good defensive Big Ten games that didn't allow one player to win or lose the game either. McSorley didn't have an over-impressive game. Sanders, like I said, didn't have an overly impressive game. Stanley was rather disappointing. Noah Fant had a pretty decent game. They were targeting him more so towards the end of the game. I wish they would have utilized him more at the beginning, but you can definitely see that Stanley uses him as a safety valve. There's a lot to watch at Iowa, which is I like their uniform, so it makes it easy on the eyes too. Really, really quick notes. There was a the Houston and South Florida game was important. I was I actually got a chance to watch the whole game. I was in 
wanting to see, you know, what would happen. I didn't, Ed Oliver didn't get to play, which kind of sucked. I was really shocked at how, how the game went. This Derek King, I've never heard of him before. I mean, I think I may have seen his name. He had seven touchdowns for Houston. And then you, you look at his eye, his stats, they're eye-popping. And I mean, he's a smaller guy. He's 5'11", 195. So he's, I don't think he's ever going to be a quarterback of the NFL level. But he is definitely in the Heisman discussion with this game. He's I'll look up his exact numbers here in a second. But did you get to any chance to look at anything? Have you ever heard of that kid? Or I, I tried to after Saturday. It was hard not to hear about him with seven touchdowns. Now, I haven't been able to track down any game film on him yet, it, albeit I looked very quickly and interested to watch a little bit more of him. Like you said, with that size, it's going to be hard-pressed to see him translate to the NFL at quarterback. I mean, heck, he's fun to watch now. If you got him at a Debbie or a college league. 2,400 yards, 28 touchdowns, five picks, and uh, quite a bit of rushing yards as well, too. An electric guy, but, you know, just another one of those guys that flashes and, you know, makes some noise in the Heisman race, and then we probably never hear anything of him. We got a new segment that we're going to do. It's called the Pride Stickers, and I'm sure you've seen them on the helmets of some of the college football teams and where they have the stickers. They're stickers for a great game, you know, like a – Pat on the back, I guess. You know, sometimes some players have tons of them. Some have only just a few. But we're going to do that every week. And for this week, Andrew, who got your pride sticker? Who really stuck out? My pride sticker is going to go to, at this point, my new wide receiver one, Nikhil Harry from Arizona State. He had four catches for 95 yards, one touchdown, ran a punt back for a touchdown. And then he had probably the best catch of the year in college football, OBJ-esque on the sideline. I don't know how he was able to turn his body, and it just – the whole thing was – Falling down backwards, oh, yeah. against the sideline. It was nuts. Yeah, athleticism will be a plus on his draft report. It stinks because he's one of those guys that I really wish was in an explosive offense. You know, he doesn't – you look at his stats, you're like, oh, you know, whatever. Oh, yeah, could no. you imagine him at, like, Oklahoma or oh. – Anywhere in the Big 12. Right, and that'd be crazy. And then for you, Dwight, who got your sticker? Yeah, mine, I'm going to go back to the Penn State game that, you know, Gross Matos, we'll call him. <laughs> YGM, baby. I don't know. <laughs> YGM, there you go. There you, you started go. it, and we'll get it traded. Yeah, he just, he made a hell of a difference in a game that was gonna, that I thought was going to be a 13 to 10 stood out and I think he's going to be a handful for Michigan this week. So I'm really interested to dig some more into him, especially in the off season when I have time to break down more games, but yeah, no, for sure. He's definitely going to be one of those Penn state pass rushers and defensive players. Like we were talking about before with Tumbahali and Paul Pazlesny and all the different types of defensive players they've put out in the past. I think they're starting to get more back to that, especially with, um, them needing to rely on it more now that they don't have Saquon to rely on as much. And with McSorley being a senior, they'll definitely need to rely on their defense. All right, our next segment is our weekly Heisman Watch. This is week 10, I think, as we're going into the college season. And Andrew, a name that really popped up on the radar this week, when he's had a couple amazing games. Gardner Minshaw, Washington State. He absolutely balled out against Stanford. What do you think of him, man? Coming out of nowhere. Yeah, I know, and I was digging into him a little bit more. This whole Washington State kind of creeping up onto people. The top 10, I believe, in the first college football playoff ranking, and Mike Leach and his weirdness are 
kind of staying on the back burner for once, which is but no, looking more into Gardner, I, you see he came from a community college, went to East Carolina, graduated, so he's a graduate transfer. He got gets the starting job at Washington State, was going to have a quarterback battle with Tyler Helsinski until he had his tragic pass, passing in the offseason. From what I've seen of him so far, he has nice size. He's 6'2", 220. He's a thick 220, so it's not like he's just – going to get broken in half at the next level if he decides to go there his mechanics i like pretty his mechanics were pretty decent as well from what i saw and his ball placement i really liked as well given i've only watched a handful of games of him i i still like a lot of what i see it's one of those things where it's the mike leach offense so it'll be interesting to see how much of that translates i think baker mayfield was the first person to kind of break the mold of that spread offense as bad from college to pro so it'll be interesting to see if he translates or what draft evaluators think come April. I'd be curious actually to go back and see some of this tape from East Carolina, honestly, because his numbers were not that great. They were okay. And then this year he's putting up 70%, 71% completion rate, 26 touchdowns, 3,100 yards. That's crazy. And then you look at his numbers at East Carolina, which obviously is a much smaller school and he was nowhere near that. So I'd be kind of curious to see what, he what that looked like you know and what has made this much difference and he's an older guy this is his fifth year so he's i didn't look at his exact he's got to be 23 or 24 so I mean, he's going to be an older guy but he's definitely he's starting to creep up into that first round discussion in a quarterback class that has been fading a lot recently yeah he'll be older just like will greer will be It'll be interesting to see, which necessarily isn't that bad. Maybe the decision-making is a little bit better, and their car insurance is going to drop here soon anyways. For you, Dwight, uh, is there anybody, obviously, the two are race, a.k.a. the Heisman race. Is there anybody else sticking out to you in your top five or anyone you want to talk about? No, not much has changed, really. I'm going to add Minshew into the top five, and then I still think it's going to come down between – I still think it'll be between Tua, Murray, and Haskins. Minshew and Etienne have a slight chance of getting in there. Sorry if you don't know who they are. Tua Tagliavola, I think so. He's from Alabama. Kyler Murray from Oklahoma. Gardner Minshew, as just said. Dwayne Haskins from Ohio State. And Travis Etienne from Clemson. I think and Tua, all of them are quarterbacks except Etienne, too. Right. I think the thing that's going to set them apart is the fact that Tua, Murray, Haskins, Etienne are going to be in more critical games. And if they shine on that big stage, they're definitely going to get some extra bump there. So that's, For sure. I think that sets them apart from like Minshew. And what's your top five? Your number five. I love it, man. Love it. My number five is Grant Delpit, a defensive back out of LSU. I think if anyone defensively is going to win the Heisman, it would have to be Grant Delpit. He's only a sophomore, but Ryan Clark tweeted out infamously a couple weeks back that he is the best safety or corner that LSU has ever produced. So that's Patrick Peterson, Tyron Matthew, that type of company. Ryan Clark also went to LSU, but he's not in their company anyway. That's a different discussion. This year he boasts 54 tackles total, eight and a half tackles for loss, five sacks, five interceptions. He's just a disruptor. He's playing a lot like the Honey Badger did when he was down in the bayou. He doesn't have the touchdowns that Matthew had that would probably really jump him into the Heisman race. It'll be interesting to see him play out. He's got 
we got the rest of this year and at least next year to watch him. So he can only grow and get better. So it'll be fun to watch how he goes now. My four are pretty much the same as what you got. I've got Tua, Kyler Murray, ETN, Haskins. At the end of the day, it's the Tua race, and then there's everybody else. They keep joking about it on stick to football. They just got to fill seats. But Tua's name's already going to be on the plaque when they all show up for it and take pictures with it. So oh, yeah, I think it's his race to lose at this point. And, and, and deservedly so. He still hasn't thrown a pick, and he still hasn't played in a fourth quarter which just speaks to how well he's playing to keep his team. And his ball placement and his throwing motion for being a lefty, it looks just different because there's not a lot of good lefties. It's just effortless. Can't wait for next year for me to use one of my hundreds of 2020 first-round bevy picks, it seems, on him. All right, just like the Dynasty owner manual, every weekend or every week here we want to go through some Devi strategy. Um, we're going to start kind of with some more of the basic strategy. Um, our strategy will change throughout the year as, you know, we get into draft season and things like that. But right now, you know, it's the middle of the season and you're, you're in your races. So let's say your team is, you know, you're two and six, one and seven, you know, the dreaded 0 and 8 if you're that bad. What are several ways that you can approach things? How aggressive should you be with Debbie players? Should you tar- target Debbie, rookies, un- injured young players? Like, what's a good strategy here as far as Debbie, Andrew? What do you think you should be targeting? I think it all depends on how you evaluate the incoming players. So, if you have just rookie drafts in your league, like I have one league, it's a dynasty league. I'm 0 8. I-, I had a lot of players get bad, bad, or they retired last year on this team I have. And I was coming into this year with no running backs on my team. So I had to get what I could. I was able to nab up Darius Geis, who was injured rather late in the first round of a pick or draft. I got Edo Smith down at Atlanta, who I think is going to replace Devontae Freeman. I really wanted to work on the running backs with my draft, and that's what I tried to do. The pieces on the team you have, if you're 0-8, 1-7, look at your veterans who are producing, who you can trade to the people who were first, second, or third that can win a championship for draft capital or the players you can get. I tried to get kind of an NBA approach, but you want to nab down one position in a draft. So, like, I got my running backs now because I was able to get – I also made a trade for Nick Chubb. So I got Chubb, Geis, Ito Smith because I think they're better than any running back coming in this next year. So I was able to get some extra picks. My This coming draft, I'm going to work on tight ends and wide receivers because I know they're going to be better this year than um, in most years. And then in 2020, you're able to nab down quarterbacks, running backs. So it's kind of you got to do a little bit of scouting and know your team. I've talked about it on a couple podcasts I've done. you just really got to be honest with yourself, and you've really got to utilize every tool you can get, whether it be us here at the Devi Manual, Stick to Football, Devi Watch, whatever you can use to get more acquainted with what's coming up and going to be playing on Sundays and how they're going to translate. Take a step back and look at the layers of your team. I know it sounds, you can almost tear your team knowing that, you know, this guy is going to be productive for a couple years. You know, this guy is going to be like, you're okay. So you want to try to target Debbie guys that'll come in and replace those guys that are fading out and things like that. So it's, it's a, tiered thing like typically the teams that are competitive i see don't typically have a whole lot of debbie because they've already bargained them away to get what they have so you just got to target those 
mid-level teams that are trying to get to that top level and get whatever Debbie you can get, man. And then I think you do need some youth to keep yourself. I I'm, I'm, I'm not a tank for two or three years type of guy. I definitely want to keep myself somewhat competitive. You just got to find the right balance. That's exactly right. How you said it. And I think you're seeing it too with the real NFL, not the fantasy aspect of it, but you're seeing a little bit of that eke into it, which this past Tuesday, we had the trade deadline for the NFL, and it's never that busy. It was busier than an MLB trade deadline. And you saw a lot of the older players getting traded for draft picks. I mean, look what Gruden's been doing in Oakland. Should he have traded Khalil Mack? No. But Amari Cooper, they weren't liking, liking the produce, production they were getting out of him. They were able to get a first for him. Any day of the week you can do something like that where you could trade a player that's not doing a lot for you but someone else sees the value. By all means, ship him off and get what you can for him. No player should be untradeable on a team. Oh, I absolutely 100% agree. We may see fantasy rosters being run more like the Philadelphia Eagles where you have that tiered their team with the productive veterans and try to get as much as you can before your quarterback, you know, in, in our case would be, you know, makes himself you know too expensive. And the same with the NFL as well. You know, there's cool to see the parallels in, in running a fantasy team and the way some of the more successful NFL teams are like the Rams and things like that. Right, for sure. So then with you, Dwight, what do you what type of value do you put on these 2019 picks versus these 2020 picks? Like I talked about 2019, you have the wide receivers and the tight ends. 2020, you got the quarterbacks and the running backs. Is there one you in general prefer more if you're gonna make a trade or I want to look at this in as in a Debbie landscape. So we're going to think the draft is going to be Debbie depleted. So in 2019 first is not going to get you AJ Brown or Nikhil Harry. It's not going to get you David Montgomery. So you've got to think about that, that a lot of people will tend to value those picks as they are first round picks. But if you think about it, they're really like a second or third round pick. You might get, you know, the player that falls through the cracks. There's always a couple. Um, like you may be lucky enough to find Benny Snell, you know, something like that. He may have fallen through the cracks. You may be able to get him, but you're probably not going to get him at the first or second pick. It'll probably be, you know, or he will be one of the first couple picks. So you've got to take that into consideration when you're trading for these picks. And a lot of guys will dangle them in front of your face when they're trading, like Edo Smith in a 2019 first for – Christian McCaffrey and you're like, Oh, cool. But that first is not a first. <laughs> it's a, it's a third, you know, and 2020, there's a little more leeway. Cause you can kind of, well, we're trained to want those picks when we're rebuilding, but when it's Debbie depleted, those picks are not, not worthless, but they're definitely not worth a whole lot. Most times. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely top, especially with this coming draft. Like I have friends reach out to me and they're like, I need a running back. Who should I get? And I'm like, well, where are you draft? And they're like, well, I'll probably be a mid to late first. I was like, you're not going to get anybody that I know of right now. There's always those weird situations where a player you watched and looked at gets drafted to a real good situation. Um, right. A couple years back, Kareem Hunt being a third-round pick going to the Chiefs behind Charkandrick West and Spencer Ware. He was third on the death chart. But come week one – takes one good game on Thursday night against the defending champs, and now he's a first-round pick the next year in redrafts. So, I right. mean, there's always – everything we talk about now 
will completely change come the first week of May. This whole thing is just going to be a build-up to where you look and see who you want and how you evaluate certain players, but then situations are the biggest X factor that can play in any player's development. Oh, absolutely. Like Alvin Kamara probably fell through most Debbie cracks. Oh, yeah. And he was, you know, you could probably even got him with with a second round. Debbie depleted even. He flashed at Tennessee, but he was definitely not somebody who was on the Debbie radar, unless it was a super, super, super deep league. Who do you like to target most then, like as far as your players and needs? Because there's different different positions have a higher hit rate and things like that. So how do you try to get a good balance of Debbie players versus NFL? Like, let's say you are competing. If you are competing, I would say good for one of the positions that gets a more immediate results usually the first round quarterbacks in the draft usually get to play earlier they don't have to sit unless it's like a pat mahomes situation but that's very rare nowadays i mean the browns said they weren't going to play baker mayfield all year and then he's been playing for a couple weeks now as far as like running backs there's always going to be reps given out to players player comes out for a play player gets hurt those you'll see more immediate results from Wide receivers and tight ends take a little bit longer to develop. Not everyone's going to come into the league like a Gronk. Not everyone's going to come in like a Calvin Ridley and lead the NFL in touchdown receptions for the first couple weeks. Receivers take a little bit to develop. I'd probably say they're the, the longest they have to – they're the crockpot of the <laughs> NFL prospects. They take a couple hours to sit in there before they're – let marinade a little bit longer. And then those are the guys that you can trade if, for your pieces. You know, if you need – if you are competing and you you're sitting on like this year, Cortland Sutton before the trade deadline would have been a good guy to get rid of to get yourself a talented veteran, you know, stuff like that will take a little bit longer. So you can use those Debbie guys that you don't have the time to wait on. So yeah, that's a very very sound strategy there. With that in mind too, how do you take advantage in Debbie when you have more than one team in rebuild mode? Like I know a lot of us have six, seven, eight, nine, unless you're Tyler and you have like 3,258 teams, you got to manage a lot of them. So how would, how do you handle that? I'd rather not talk about how many I have. Yeah. Like when you're fighting for other teams that are do that, like you've got to be aggressive and you've got to do your homework. This is where the Debbie homework really goes in, you know, get the Debbie watch report, get, you know, listen to Sat. I like Saturday to Sunday. That's a really good resource. DLF's got a couple good writers for Debbie. Listen to us. You know, you've got to do your homework and take advantage of those guys that you can get. Because if you've got four teams that are fighting at the bottom and they're all like, I'll trade so and so for Debbie players. So that's when you got to do your research. You got to, a lot of those top teams will throw Debbie in like they're nothing, usually, especially if they're a couple years out. So you've got to be aggressive and you've got to be diligent and intelligent with your homework and then take advantage of the situation. I see a lot of teams that are flailing at the bottom of some of my leagues and they're not doing anything or they'll trade, you know, like someone like Sterling Shepard, you know, and they'll get nothing back for him or just like a first round or second round pick like take, get some of those Debbie guys, you know, grab, grab cam makers, you know, cam makers, you know, grab some of those guys like that, that most of the competitive teams will just throw in there to get that extra edge. So you definitely have to be really, really diligent right now with that. And like, take it to like, take advantage of the situation. That's, that's the best I can say. And just do your homework, 
get the get the second tier of guys down and get a bunch of them. You know, just get like a lot of those competitive teams still are not going to get rid of their best player, their best Debbie players because they know. Like I'm holding on to Trevor Lawrence for my dear life in one league, despite having several really great offers for him. But I know that he's that top prospect. So try to get, you know, go to that guy, go to me and try to get my next three down, you know, just, just, just keep trying, just keep trying to get as many W players as you can. And especially if you've got a deep taxi squad. For sure. If you got a deep taxi squad, take advantage of that all day, load that up with, Every podcast, I think I refer to these players as lottery tickets. And that's what they are for you on, in Devi. You don't know what they're going to be, but depending on where they go, they could be a $25,000 a day for life and just right. keep paying and reaping the rewards. As we transition to the weekend preview, I think everyone knows the big game we got to talk about. Dwight, let's talk about Florida, Missouri. <laughs> Crickets. Crickets. Okay. <laughs> anyway, the real game of the week's Alabama and LSU, one versus three. Oh, Lord, yes. Um, at night in the swamp. I'm taking my pants swamp. off and watching it. Oh, oh boy. Anyway, <laughs> who are some players for Alabama? I mean, they're loaded on offense and defense. I mean, Tua hasn't had to play a fourth quarter, so obviously they're dominating the whole way around. Who are some players that you're really excited to watch against the, their best team they're going to play all year? Right. I think this game is going to come down to the defensive stars. I think Tua is definitely going to see some things that he's not seen before this season. On LSU, you mentioned Grant Delpit. He's phenomenal. But they've also got Greedy Williams, who's, I think, the top cornerback. So they're going to definitely be able to cover Alabama's receivers. And then Devin White's going to be out the first half, but Jacob Phillips will have to step up. And then but both of those guys are key to stopping, you know, the underneath stuff. So that's on the LSU side of the ball. And as far as Bama, they're definitely loaded as well. They've got a name that's really come to the forefront and is starting to get like not quite top 10 buzz, but it's getting up there. Quentin Williams is a defensive tackle at Alabama. He's actually their highest rated player from PFF. He's got a, I believe, 97.6 overall rating, even higher than Tua. He's shown and he's come out of nowhere. He hasn't started a single game up until this year. And he's been phenomenal. Great run stopper. They've got Mac Wilson at linebacker and Deontay Thompson is also one of the top safeties. So Bama's got the defense too. So I I'm gonna be glued to this game, man. Is there anybody you're watching like this isn't named Tua? No, I there's I mean there's plenty of names to watch. I'm really excited for uh, like you mentioned, Grant Delpit, Devin White. I think the game's gonna be won and lost though on how Joe Burrow manages the game for LSU. He doesn't necessarily have to win the game for them. He just can't lose the game. It's kind of like a similar position to where Felipe Franks was last week with Florida versus Georgia. Burrow's just got to keep the ball with the offense, not turn the ball over, um, let the running backs kind of manage the game for them and eke out what they can, take three, four, five yards when you can. Burrow will be asked to make a couple throws. Just like I said, he can't turn the ball over, but, I mean, he's got Del Pitt, Greedy Williams, Devin White, Phillips. That whole defense is probably going to be NFL caliber at some point. It's just it's going to be a very good game, but – this isn't on the show sheet, Dwight. I want to ask you this real quick. The spread on the game, we're not going to turn into a gambling podcast. The spread on the game is 14 points. 
Alabama's the favorite. Do you think they'll be able to cover that? No, I don't, actually. I almost made it my upset of the week, but I, I don't think I'm that quite confident in LSU winning, but I think it's going to be closer than that. I think Tua's going to show his – he's going to show a little human side this game. I don't estimate he's going to – I think he's going to be playing in the fourth quarter. I think he's going to throw his first two interceptions. He's. It's going to be harder. It's going to be tougher than anything he's ever seen. This is a one of the most hostile environments in college football against one of the best defenses in college football. This is going to be his probably his down game of the year. And but even then, I don't think it's going to be that far down. I, I just don't see them being able to make that much of a dent in it. But I think it's going to be close up into the fourth quarter, and then Alabama will pull away a little bit. But I still think they're only going to win by ten or so. No, for sure. LSU at night is prime how the Tigers want it. Another big SEC matchup, um, the one that everyone circled on their calendars to decide the SEC East, Georgia versus Kentucky. <laughs> Could be a shootout as long as that Kentucky offense decides to show up unlike they did last week. Biggest question, though, is can that Kentucky defense slow the trio of running backs Georgia has along with Jake Fromm and Fields? Oh, I don't think they're going to. I'd, unfortunately, as much as I want to root for Kentucky and as much as I love Josh Allen, I don't think it's going to be that good of a game, unfortunately. Uh, they do uh, They do have it. Yeah, it is yeah, at Kentucky. But I just don't think they have enough to stop that, the star power and the offense of Georgia and also overcome their defense as well. Kentucky has, you know, a lot of question marks on offense. So, but as far as Georgia, though, they they are like a running back factory. The last five, last ten years, probably, like who is the running back there to own in Debbie? Like who is the most impressive to you? I would say there's there's two. I couldn't really decide on who I wanted to go with. I did I did pick one, but I really like DeAndre Swift. Um, he kind of put the dagger in Florida's heart on Saturday, breaking off that big thirty plus yard run. I do think, however, the player to own in that backfield is the knockout punch of the running backs, Elijah Holyfield. Uh, he's six foot one, two hundred and twenty pounds. He's huge. Not Derrick Henry huge, but he's shown even with that size, he has the speed to break off the big runs. He also go over the top and go through you. Um, I think he's the most complete back they have on that offense. So uh, there's a lot to own there. I mean. They've been a running back factory. Todd Gurley, Sony Michelle, Nick Chubb the last couple of years. So you can't go wrong with a Georgia running back in Debbie, in my opinion. Man, I wish that I wish that Zamir White was a factor because I think he's probably better than all of them. But, yeah, and that's the crazy part. You got him going there, and he could be the best out of all of them. So I'm pretty sure they locked up the number one running back for next the next class too already. I wouldn't be surprised it's, if they haven't. It's for the next crazy. <laughs> So we got one other really, really awesome marquee matchup this weekend. We got Penn State going into Michigan. Are there any Debbie prospects in that game as far as the offensive side of the ball, Andrew? Penn State, um, I really want to see Juwan Johnson and Sanders play a little bit better than they did. Uh, Juwan Johnson's at the mercy of Trace McSorley being able to throw him the ball. McSorley lately has been shown he's more of a runner than a passer, but with his size, that's expected. Sanders, they're going to have to control the clock because Michigan actually has a pretty good offense now this year. That's been really rolling since the first week. On that note, I really like how Shea Patterson's back, bounced back from an okay first game of the year against Notre Dame. And I really like, and I've been high on him for a while, Curran Higton, the senior running back at Michigan. 
He's not huge as far as size goes, but um, he's finally rattling off consistent 100-yard games. Last year he had, on two occasions, 200-yard games. So he's shown that he can be the bell cow for that team, and they will use him as much as they can. So it'll be fun to watch. It's Michigan, they haven't ever had that quarterback play. And while they have the quarterback play, it's opening up the run game, and everyone else is kind of benefiting from it. So it'll be a fun game to watch. Right. The only other offensive one I would chip in is Donovan Peoples-Jones to see how he does against against that top Penn State cornerback or Oriare. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see that matchup. Yes. No, for sure. And then what about for that defense then, Dwight? I know Michigan's got a couple good ones, and Penn State you've already talked about. Right. Matos and Oriare. And yeah, then just to watch the linebackers, Devin Bush and Chase Winovich in Michigan, because I think they're going to be a key to the game with the the type of passing play that McSorley has. He tends to favor the short game. And then obviously Miles Sanders is one of their biggest weapons. So I think the linebackers are going to be key in that game. But now the fun part, the one everybody tunes into, the one that we all missed last <laughs> week. Andrew. What is your upset of the week? I am 0-2, so I've got to turn it around here. They don't know I, went, <laughs> I went with a less, wow, he's really going out there sort of pick. Um, I want to see Kill Harry and Herm Edwards. I want to see Kill Harry and Arizona State knock off number 16, Utah. Utah's having less than stellar year for their defense. Usually they're pretty stout in the Pac-12. But I expect Nikhil Harry to be able to take advantage and at least do enough to make the difference to where Arizona State's able to pull the upset there. What about you, Dwight? Who are you picking? He kind of stole a little bit of my thunder. I think uh, there was somebody on NFL Network that predicted this. I think Northwestern is going to hand Notre Dame their the first big loss of the year. So I did not read that part of the show sheet or know that was your pick. So I'm caught off guard by it. Yes. Yeah, I like the way Northwestern's playing. They they handled wisconsin in wisconsin they did they've played they've had a couple weird games they lost to duke they lost to akron earlier in the season but i mean they played michigan down to the wire at michigan this game's in at northwestern and they are playing they're just playing great they're one of the they don't have a lot of names but they've got just a lot of really good like players and they've they're they're feisty yeah they're I just I like the way they play. I like their the swagger and everything. It's a huge game for them, and I think I think they're going to do it. Fitzgerald, their coach, is a big factor of that too. While that whole team doesn't have the big names, they do have Clayton Thorson at quarterback. Yes, there you um, go. But Fitzgerald is kind of like that Dan Mullen type, where that team's not supposed to do much, but he's able to elevate them to the top, just like a Dan Campbell too at Iowa State. And then as far as any other players the rest of the weekend, is there anyone else you're excited to watch? Yeah, I want to see Bryce Love. Going into this season, most people had him as one of the top running backs behind David Montgomery, and he just hasn't been that great this season. Um, He had a pretty good game against Washington State, but I want to see he's playing against Washington this week, who is a pretty good defense and has a lot of NFL prospects as well. So I'd like to see him do something. And I know he's been hampered a little by injuries, so that was part of it. But I want to see him do something because I, I, from what I've seen, I don't, I don't see it with him. I, I, I really don't. I've fallen off the Bryce Love boat as well. Right. He, J. Mike's going to give me some hate for this, but he kind of reminds me of like the Ronald Jones. I just don't, I just don't see it. Rashad Penny, I don't, I didn't see it with him either. 
and I just don't see it with Bryce Love, but I think it's important that he has a really good game. And then I want to see Sam Ellinger for Texas, their quarterback, up against like West Virginia. Yep, he's a guy I really like, a sophomore. He's had some really good games, and, and he's got some really good weapons there in Colin Johnson, and he's got Brandon Eagles coming up too, another good wide receiver. So he's got some weapons to grow with the next couple of years, and I want to see how he does against West Virginia. That's going to be a pretty big game for them. It's funny. Andrew? Oh, it's, oh you're good. I was going to say, it's funny that you mentioned Colin Johnson because really the next big game apart from LSU and Bama that I'm excited to watch is that Texas-West Virginia game. Both, unfortunately, suffered upset losses. Um, right. West Virginia lost to Iowa State a couple weeks back. Last week, Oklahoma State uh, beat Texas. It was, and it led to the epic Mike Gundy Twitter rant. <laughs> oh, that was crazy. You watched the end of that, and I just I didn't see what all the fuss was over. He was trying to get his players out of there, and boy, Texas's coach lost his freaking mind. It was yeah, I think Tom Herman was trying to just go. save a little bit of face. I want to see Will Greer continue to, to play better. He bounced back last week after the upset loss to Iowa State where he had three red zone interceptions. If I mean, we talked about it before with Herbert, if he stays, this quarterback race is wide open, and Will Greer could definitely be one of the names to become a QB one. And the other receiver opposite Colin Johnson, little Jordan Humphrey, he's played really well too with Sam Ellinger throwing him the ball. So it's that's the next fun game that will have more scoring in it than I think the Alabama LSU game. No, there's a lot of good games. I, we tweeted it out this week on the Devi owner's manual twitter account there's six seven eight marquee games to watch this week so yeah things are getting fun weeks, next couple weeks is gonna be fun man all right over the first couple weeks we actually have had a couple fan questions um we did answer them in our phantom episode we recorded an episode last week that for some reason my happy ass couldn't get it to itunes so <laughs> so anyways we're gonna answer them again for the third time so dhh miggy or at DHH underscore Miggy asks, which running back will be the first off the board in a somewhat stacked wide receiver class in 2019? We mentioned the names earlier. David Montgomery, I think, definitely has a chance. But I think my sleeper for the whole thing is Benny Snell. I, I think he's really starting to take over this whole competition. He could take it over on Saturday if, with a good show against Georgia on a big-time game. So it'll be interesting to see. There's – just like the quarterback class, this a lot of these position groups are wide open. Herbert might be staying. That's wide open. Running backs, nobody's really taken that leap. That's wide open. Metcalf gets injured. Wide receivers are wide open. So while there not, might not be as much deep talent, there's a lot of fun to watch with it. And the running back class with Benny Snell and David Montgomery, I think, is going to be a big one. Like, I'm a defensive guy, so I love the 2019 draft, but I – I'm really not excited at all offensively for hardly anybody at this point. You don't. Yeah. But then 2020, holy hell. Oh yeah. We get, we get what you're getting this year. Yeah. 2020 is going to be 25 of the first 32 picks. are going to be offensive guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. And then our next question at top dog dynasty asked, which running backs will we look looking to target in drafts in 2020 then? 2020, we got the name, big names, Cam Akers, Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins, just to name a few. Um, Travis Etienne, who's really playing well this year. I know you like him a lot, Dwight. Like you just said, the 2020 class is going to be all offense. So for everyone that's not IDP, which is 
it's growing. It's a smaller number. <laughs> yeah. But no, it's it's going to be fun to watch, and it's going to be a three-headed monster at least going into that. I don't have anybody to add to that, man. It's going to be a fun class. Our last question. It's a fun one. I want to try to have some some fun on here a little bit occasionally. Um, I mean, we we have fun. We have fun talking to you guys. But our editor at DHH, Jacob Henry FF, or at Jacob Henry FF, asks, "Can you rank players by hair?" I guess we can. I don't know if we should, but who's your who's your one hundred and one? My one hundred and one has to be the Golden Locks that put Clay Matthews to shame, Chase Winovich. And who recently adopted a son in this couple weeks ago when Michigan knocked off Michigan State. But I digress on that. Who would you be who's your 101? Yeah, it's between it's between him and Mr. Lawrence there, the quarterback at Clemson, man. He's he's got these golden flowing, I think I called him touchdown Jesus one time. <laughs> That's kind of what he looks like. He's got a wonderful head of hair, man. <laughs> I don't, I don't even think I'm comparing him to Jesus. I mean, anybody right. should be complimented by that at least. Right. His voice is like a, it's like a cross between Fergie and Jesus. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, that will wrap up our second episode. If I can figure out how to get it to iTunes, it will be the second episode finally. And uh, Andrew, why don't you tell everybody where they can find your work at, man? They can find me on Twitter at DHH underscore Mandrew. They can find my work on DynastyHappyHour.com. I do have a weekly Debbie preview on there, looking at different position groups and players as a more expanded, written-out version of what our pod really is. So don't be afraid to check us out on there as well. And you, Dwight? Yep, you can find me on Twitter at FFPeoplesChamp. I have some articles when I get time up at DHH and then also the Fantasy Authority where I typically cover defensive players for Redraft and Dynasty and hope to write some more about the Debbie players too. I get to watch and study him and stuff and I'll get to write, write about him as much as I'd like to. And you can find our show. Our Twitter handle is at Debbie Manual. And we also have an email account, DebbieOwnersManual at gmail.com that you can email questions to. Send us pictures of your roster things like that. Ask us, you know, any questions you want on that. And that's it, man. We'll record another episode next week and we'll go over the LSU and Alabama game and should have a lot, lots of juicy tidbits next week. Roll tide. (laughs) (laughs) Roll tide. All right. We'll talk to you guys next week. Gabe, take us away. There's more. Don't forget about the Mountain West, the Mac that can flex, somebody's next, Ivy League fresh, literally though, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of players to test. I'm serious, they will talk about the most obscure players on this planet, potentially another planet. Like, dude's got a 4-3-40 from Mars, like, I don't know, it's too much, I'm done. I'm gone this time. Like, don't bring it back in. Enjoy your podcast.